0: Welcome to another Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation's Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. I am your guest host, Michael Canudo. I'm excited to be with you today. Why? Because today today's educator is none other than Alejandro Arenas. And the topic is: hey guys, get this: the Jazz Basis Repertoire Conundrum. How and what to learn. (laughs) So we know this is going to be an amazing session. Uh, Just a reminder, when you come in, you're going to be muted, but uh, we really welcome your feedback and questions. So you can just go into that chat feature and simply just type in your questions and we'll go ahead and save some time at the end to answer anything. And don't forget to check out more free upcoming sessions at our website, www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education. And we welcome feedback as well. So if you have a topic you want us to discuss, or you just want to let us know how much you are really enjoying these sessions, email us over there at info at clearwaterjazz.com. And uh, we just want to uh, give a shout out to our sponsors today. Uh, We want you to check out the studio archive of past sessions at our website. And this is brought to you by Blue Water Wealth Management at Stuart Partners and Duke Energy. And don't forget about the Young Lions podcast and that's available wherever you stream and that's brought to you by our friends over there at Marine Max Clearwater and you can just search Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions wherever you stream. Um, just a few sessions that we've enjoyed from Alejandro just to name a few. Harmony, A Base Perspective uh, How About Fun with Arranging or um, What I Love About Series, those Those were very interesting. We had Wilbur Ware, Oscar Pettiford, uh, John Patitucci. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, He is definitely a resource uh, where he's sharing a lot of information. So we really appreciate you, Alejandro. Uh, And just a little bit about him, if you don't know him. He was born in Columbia, but we have him right here in the Tampa Bay area. Um, he earned a degree in Gainesville, that school we know up there. <laughs> also, uh, he earned A in music studies at Santa Fe Community College. Um, also, he's part of an award-winning group, and you know that group. His name is La Lucha. So he holds a Bachelor's of Music and Jazz Performance and a Master's of Music from the University of South Florida. Um, and during his studies at USF, he toured Italy, France, Germany with the Jazz Ensembles One and the Jazz Tech performing at different festivals. So I'm gonna stop talking right now because I know you just can't wait to hear uh what Alejandro has to say. So guess what, Alejandro? The stage is all yours. Let's go.
1: Thank you, Michael. All right, so today I am going to talk about, just like Michael said, about the jazz bassist repertoire conundrum, how and what to learn. So conundrum, why is it a conundrum? So by definition, a conundrum is basically a confusing and difficult problem or question. Why is it difficult or confusing in this case? Well, the basic answer to that is that for a younger generation of musicians that are learning jazz standards, they are very likely not going to be exposed to them in a natural way. And what I mean by a natural way is that a lot of times we get exposed to music through society, right? Through what our peers listen to, what's popular on the radio or on YouTube these days, or, you know, viral stuff and and all of that. And the likelihood of it being a jazz standard is fairly low, especially like a traditional jazz standard. So why is that an issue? Well, you know, because if you want to learn to play a style of music, you have to listen to that music. And specifically in jazz, the repertoire is a very, very, very important part of being a jazz musician, of really being able to play the music, because the way the music, basic way the music works in case you know, you're new to jazz. So it was basically we we we, you know, a lot of it is based on improvisation. So we have a melody that we play over a set of changes, which is extremely important. Hence, learning the tunes, um, and then we improvise over that form and those chord changes. But a lot of what we find in common in repertoire, where we're playing with 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 jazz bands, in jam sessions, and just pickup bands and all that stuff, is the standards. Um, so. As a young musician, you may find yourself torn between learning the music of your generation. You know, maybe you're also into rock uh, or maybe you are, you know, into funk. Maybe you're you're into a lot of different things that are not necessarily jazz related. And you may find yourself that that's the music that you have in common with your peers. But of course, you may also find that you really dig jazz and you want to learn that repertoire as well. So. Now, that's part of the conundrum. So being exposed to the music. Um, you know, a lot of the younger generation is exposed through, to jazz through bands like Snarky Poppy, for example, who actually is filled with members that are fairly well- um, they know that repertoire, the standard repertoire, fairly well, but it's not really appa- readily apparent in the music of Snarky Puppy. You know, you can hear it in the improvisation, but maybe in the composition, not as much. You may not hear as much, um, you know, Cole Porter <laughs> in a Snarky Puppy tune, you know. Uh, but, you know, we'll get to that, there's, there's, and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying, you know, that's a starting point. Uh, and if you ask the guys from Snarky Puppy who to listen to, they would probably uh, point you in the direction of their influences, who are likely, uh, you know, jazz musicians, in addition to you know, funk musicians, and 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 just a lot of different styles of music. So, um, so now there, there's two basic questions that I want to answer today, or or address at least. It's like and it's how and what to learn so let's start with the what to learn first because then this is this is kind of the 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 part where it becomes a little bit overwhelming um why can it be overwhelming especially for a bass player well the bass is basically a supportive instrument um you know you are usually accompanying other musicians that are playing the melody you're you're usually not playing the melody you may play the melody absolutely and you should learn the melody we'll talk about that in a second but you are essentially a supportive instrument so you are at the mercy of whatever tune the singer wants to wants to sing the guitar player may want to play the melody on the sax player may want to play the melody on the trombone player may want to play the melody on the the trumpet player you get the picture uh, why is that an issue? Well, there's certain tunes that fit certain instruments better. So let's take uh, Giant Steps. Giant Steps, you know the Coltrane tune. Uh, it's very much a, a jazz saxophone standard, um, although a lot of different instruments play it. But it is going to be more likely called by a sax player than another instrument. Uh, if you're on the stage, that's fine. Um, you know trumpet tunes. You know um trombone tunes those are very different instruments that have different levels of facility in terms of what what can be played even for bass there's bass standards right that not a lot of other musicians know because they can tend to be like bass standards you know like they tend to be instruments that uh, tunes that the bass plays the melody on so it goes both ways you know if you are a pianist watching this, you're kind of in the same situation as a bass player is because you also have to know the changes. You may not always be playing the melody on stuff, so you will also have to know the chord changes. But, you know, we'll look at it from the perspective of the bass mainly today. Although a lot of these things apply to the piano and should apply to any instrument, really. Um, and I'll address that a little bit later. Now, um, well, and I mentioned vocalists briefly. <clears throat> well. Then you, now you have a whole another thing of repertoire because I mentioned Giant Steps, which is an instrumental tune. There's a lot of bebop tunes, uh, Charlie Parker tunes or Miles Davis tunes or instrumental, you know, tunes written by instrumentalists that are not necessarily sung by singers. And that's leaving out <laughs> a lot, in fact, most of the great, great American Songbook. So now when you're dealing with songs that vocalists uh call or play or like to sing now you're not only dealing with a whole different set of uh, songs but you're dealing with having to transpose a lot because singers have different ranges and they are they have the right uh in fact they should call whatever key fits them best you know much to the chagrin of um instrumentalists we should be able to play in every key in any key so that is something to keep in mind. All right. So I said what to listen to. So how do you start? How do you even get started uh, addressing, learning all of this music? Well, I think th- the good news is that we live in an era where there's almost like too much information. Uh, especially online, it's so easy to access everything online. You can just go into Google type list of jazz standards and you'll get a lot of different hits and you're going to look at a lot of different things. And I'm going to put a, a link to a couple of documents that I think will be helpful that I'm going to show, I'm going to share with you here in this class, but um, you know, it, it's a starting point. And you know, the. the The honest answer to all of this is that you're going to have to learn hundreds, if not thousands of songs at some point. It takes time. Absolutely. And again, that's part of the conundrum. At what point, you know, are you ready to gig? You know, at what point are you, you know, a real jazz musician? Uh, Well, you know, that that's obviously you may be aware that we have things like the Real Book or the app iReal Pro that have all the chord changes, or not all the chord changes, but they have chord changes to a lot of different songs. And that's a great tool to have, and I encourage you to use it when you need it. But really, um, I think it's. It never will replace listening to the music itself and learning the music from the source because you're going to play differently if you know what the melody is supposed to sound like. A set of changes is just a set of changes, you know, if there's no not a melody connecting them. You know, as I'll talk about in a second, there's a lot of common chord progressions that really are only differentiated by the melody um, in some cases so. A good starting point is search, you know, for lists. Again, I'm going to provide you with one, but look for them because there's there's a lot of educators that have already put lists that that are out there. But you know, a good way to start, uh, another good way to start, because a list can be very overwhelming because you're going to see a list that has. Well, actually, I will shared this with you right now, so. I have, there's there's this great website called, uh, the address is jazzstandards.com and it actually has, um, well I'll show it to you, I'll I'll share the screen with you really quick. Um, So here, excuse the Google Ads, um, if you want the secret free jazz piano toolkit, they have something there. Uh, In any case, so this website basically has songs categorized from, Uh, They have them ranked, that's what it is. I don't remember exactly how they ranked them. This is just an arbitrary ranking that, you know, something that they decide this is the number one standard. But the cool thing about this is that it has a great list of standards. So now this is the first page, which has a hundred songs. And uh, they have a note here that says the top 300 jazz standards are fully documented. I'm gonna show you exactly what that means in a second. But one thing I want you to observe here is the year of each one of this. In fact, I'm gonna zoom in a little bit here so this is easier to see. And the year, 1930, 1939, 35, 44. I'm gonna scan down. As you can see, the majority of these songs, with the exception of, I think, well, let's see, let's make it to the end. Uh, yeah there's a few of them that were written in the early 50s but everything was pretty much written in the first half of the 20th century now that is important because you may not be aware of a lot of that and and part of the part of the issue with that right again this is exactly why i was saying this is difficult because you may not be read, readily be exposed to, let's say, Stardust, you know, very famous song from the Great American Songbook, Hoagy Carmichael. And, um, you know, let's ta- take that as an example in this website. This is the really cool thing. They actually have on this, they have videos. Oh, they have a playlist. So I think once you go in here, it'll show you different versions. They have compiled of Stardust, different artists playing Stardust, um, so you know they have information here origin and chart information uh here's the composer holy carmichael lyrics by mitchell parish and they have a brief history of stuff they have biographies of the artists. on the artists they have uh, here um an amazon playlist of the song here's clark terry quintet this is a great album by the way serenade to a bus seat um So they have a list here. So this is, this is incredible. You know, to me, I wish this was around, you know, 20 years ago when I started playing jazz, uh, and, or maybe it was in a very, I think this website started in, uh, 2005. So not quite uh, 20 years ago, but you know, it was around, it's been around for a while. Uh, so check it out, jazzstandards.com, but, uh, going back to this, right? So they have the ranking here. Um, fashion stuff on the right Uh, and you know just a couple of things I wanted to point out here you know looking over these tunes you know immediately what I what when I see these tunes I start singing the melody in my head um because I know these tunes I've played them uh, I've been lucky enough to have played them a bunch of times and some of these I learned on the bandstand somebody would say hey do you know this song I said no well here's a chart Let's play it. Or sometimes they will just tell me, you'll hear the chord changes. Now, you know, that's tricky, but that is a that that is a really that is a good way to learn. But anytime that happened, I try to make a note of learning the tune, of going home and just learning the tune and making sure I knew it. And I'll talk about that in, in just a second. But so here's this list. Now I'm gonna show you another list here in a second. Um, Oh, well, one thing I was going to mention, because I said lists can be a little bit overwhelming. As you can see, there were a lot of songs there. Uh, There was only a hundred out of a bunch of them, and there were a lot of recordings related to those. Now, a good kind of source, a good kind of way to find a good source of a song, is that you can go explore some of the more famous jazz albums that have some of those songs. Um, so, you know, some, some songs that are standards, I'll, I'll name a few, uh, Kind of Blue, Miles Davis, um, which has, I think the two more famous songs out of that are probably All Blues and So What, uh, Blue and Green is also there. Uh, Time Out by Dave Brubeck, the ba- Dave Brubeck uh, Quartet, uh, which has, of course, Take Five, which you will probably play a lot as a jazz musician, and you better like it. <laughs> A lot of the times, that's what that's what's going to happen. You may get sick and tired of playing one song, but there's songs people love. And, you know, we play for the people a lot of the times. Um, so it's good to know them, you know. Uh, Gets Gilberto, Stan Getz with uh, George Gilberto and... Um, uh, um, Jobim, Tom Jobim, uh, which has Girl from Ipanema, Desafinado, Corcovado. Those those are Brazilian standards, but they're very much ingrained in the standard jazz repertoire these days. And those were songs from the 60s, by the way. Um, So uh, Clifford Brown and Max Roach, they did some great albums. in the late 50s, I believe. Uh, Joy Spring and Jordu are part of that. Now, a little bit, uh, now there's a great series of albums which are the Miles Davis Quintet, um, uh, Cooking, uh, Steaming, and I forget the Working. Um, I think there were four of those albums, but they have great versions of standards like uh, If I Wear a Bell uh, or It Never Entered My Mind that are kind of arrangements that people tend to play quite a bit um so those are great albums to get you know again i'll provide a list of my favorite jazz albums and i think that are popular jazz albums as well uh, that's a really good way to kind of go to a a, a helpful source uh, so you can look at some of those lists and you know most of the time again Google's a great tool because you can kind of write the the, the name of the tune and a lot of the times it'll give you specific versions there or you know you could even google definitive version of this song or something like that of course the easiest way to do this is just really playing with people and you know if you're if you're studying jazz in high school middle school or college ask your teachers you know they went through this whole thing so uh, another list that i wanted to show you uh, really quick and this is a document that I'm going to link. It's going to be linked when when this is uploaded uh, by a great musician, bass player, actually J. B. Dias, and this has a whole guide on learning tunes, which is really really cool thing. Um, but this particular, sorry, I'm trying to open this on a on a view. My computer's giving me issues here. Um, let me reopen that. But just to kind of finish that idea and I'll, I get, I'll, I'll link the the document. Um, but look for, like I said, there's so many lists. In fact, if you have a real book, um, a lot of the new editions of the real book, uh, the real book, we actually—if you know the story of it—you know—I may not know the whole story, but basically, it was uh, put together by students at Berkeley, I uh, believe, in the 70s, um, and it was a compilation of those. And this is actually a good thing—that a good segue into learning to, so how to learn, or how to listen to learn—is. The real book had a lot of mistakes. The original real book had a lot of wrong chord changes, wrong melodies. It was an extremely helpful tool though, because it was kind of one place where you could find everything. Um, I don't have... Oh, I'll show you. I have my worn out copy of one of the first, or you know, I think this was the fifth edition of the real book. but you know, as you can see, if you're not familiar with this, it's just basically lead sheets. It has chord changes uh, with the melodies, and sometimes they have uh, at the bottom. You may not be able to see this on camera, but at the bottom they have suggestions for recordings. Now that that was the old edition, which is, I believe, uh, not in print anymore. It was, it was. I think there was. This was used to be an illegal edition. Don't tell anyone. But in any case. Um, the uh i believe it was hal leonard um i may be mistaken but there is a newer edition on that that has been edited and mostly fixed and that's a great resource to learn tunes but um it's not the ultimate source again a lot of the times when you listen to some of these recordings they are going to have different chord changes. Some people are gonna interpret things a little bit differently. Uh, Bebop tunes in particular tend to be a little tricky uh, because um, sometimes the melodies are just wrong. So sometimes it's better to just go to the source and transcribe it yourself. Um, Now, that brings me to this. Um, How to learn. You know, so... With that, uh, with the, the thing, the, the J.B. Dias article I'm going to share with you guys um, is a very good source. Uh, it actually has a whole guideline on how to learn a lot of these tunes. Um, and I'm not going to get into it here because it, it's, it's lengthy and it's, some of it is a little bit theory intensive. Not too much, though, because basically what he talks about is using your ears and some theory in order to learn the tune. So there's not one size or one way to learn a tune. The easiest way to learn a tune is to listen to it, to listen to it and not even with your instrument, just listen to it, let it, you just let it play, you know, make a playlist. You're gonna make a playlist of like three versions of the same tune. Again, we live in the era of Spotify where you can just do that very easily, you know, uh, I had to buy a bunch of CDs that had the different versions a lot of the times, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that. I got some great albums that way. And, and I encourage you to buy albums actually um, Spotify is a great tool, but unfortunately it's not great for the music business as a whole, especially the composers and people are really not getting paid, but in any case, I'm not going to, this is not a Spotify bashing session. Um, it is a great tool that you should use to your disposal um, if that is your only way to deal with that. Um, but repeated listening. So take a tune and listen to it a bunch. You know, just, just really listen to it so that it's there. It's just like a, like an ear, earworm. You know, I always made the joke that um, you know, we all knew video game music because we played so much video games uh, growing up. And I always made a joke that I was going to create an app uh, <laughs> that was uh, going to have jazz standards as the, uh, or a or, or video game that has jazz standards as uh, the, <laughs> the soundtrack. So that way we will learn them. Um, didn't come to fruition. But in any case, uh, once you listen to it repeatedly, first understand the form. So understanding the form is essential because you know knowing what you're going to think of it as having the foundation for something as found the foundation for a house um if you will so if you have kind of the the blanks basically if you're going to fill in the blanks you still have to have some structure to fill in the blanks right so Think of the form of the tune as your structure to fill in those blanks. That's providing you with the blanks. So let's say an, uh, you have an A-A-B-A tune. Let's take uh, take the A train, you know, uh, Billy Strayhorn, Duke Ellington tune, um, which has an A-A-B-A form. So ba, 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 ba. sorry, I would play it back, but I don't want to take too much of this. Uh, you can listen to it. And again, this will be on the JB Diaz article. Um, But it's an A, A, B, A tune. So you have two A sections that repeat, or one A section, another A section is identical, then a B section, which is the bridge, and then a last A section. All right, so now you have the blanks to fill. Count how many measures each um, section is. So once you know how many measures that then you'll know what space you need to fill. Now, here is a part that's essential. I wouldn't it's the melody is obviously the essence of the song, but a part and as es, essential part of understanding the or filling those blanks efficiently is understanding the bass movement, especially the bass movement by phrases. So what I mean by that is that when you I'll I'll use my bass here to 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 illustrate this. Uh, let's take take the A train. You know, basically a way that I try to think of this is that instead of thinking of it of the full chord initially of the full full chord, I'll think of the root, which is what I'm playing mostly. So so here's what I'm going to count it in my t- the tempo in my head. One, two, three, four. Right, so basically what I'm doing there is I'm basically playing the most basic bass line I can because it's giving me the bass movement. So the bass movement is, it. I think of that bass movement all, almost as, a, as its own melody. And one really good way that you can practice this as a bass player to understand both things is that one of the advantages you have as a bass player is that you don't have to know how to play the melody for every song. You should learn to play it, but you might not always find yourself with the opportunity to do that before you actually have to play the song. So, understanding bass movement is really, really important. And in fact, some of the greatest bass, uh, sorry, greatest piano players I've played with understand that very well. They they guide themselves through that because then. If you know enough theory, filling in the blanks in terms of diatonic chord progressions or typical jazz chord progressions becomes a lot easier. So, for example, okay. So now, once you understand the bass movement, I can try to sing the melody on top of that. That's the first melody of the note. I just know it, you know. But that's a good way that you can think of it. So, sorry, my singing is awful, but. You know, this, this is a good uh, example. If I was a singer, I would probably not sing it in this key. But let's take it. Sorry, out of tune. So, sorry, my singing, like I said, and my throat doesn't feel well. That's my excuse. In any case, but that's the idea you get. Um, another, you can do this with many tunes. For example, uh, all the things you are. That is actually a very good exercise to do, because if it helps you inter- internalize two things at the same time, right? You don't have to improvise the bass line there, because you know it's a little harder to actually sing a melody and, and then improvise a walking bass line, but it's giving you the, the whole context of the song, basically the basic foundation of the song in terms of like knowing the root, And and what I hear in my head is that (laughs) Right, so if you notice, I stopped playing there for a minute uh, to kind of follow that in my head. An exercise I used to do a lot with this was actually um, don't try this while you're driving. <laughs> I will confess, I did this while driving a few times. I used to live in Saint Petersburg, go to school at USF, which is about forty-five minutes to an hour with awful traffic, uh, really slow traffic. This is why I did this. But basically, what I would do is I would put a song on the radio, uh, so, a song on, you know, on a CD or something that I needed to learn, and I would pick an arbitrary key. You know, sometimes if I if I didn't have a chance to check, like, oh, what key is this recording on? I would just say, like, oh, let me just transcribe it in C. So, what I would do is just do exactly what I was doing there in my head, try to hear how the bass was moving. And then I had a piece of paper on the side that I didn't need to look at, you know, and I would just listen to four bars at a time and try to sing back that. So, hear, like, okay, is that C going to, oh, it's going to the two, or it's going up a whole step? Then, You know, I would follow that note C, okay, for this number of bars, then D for this number of bars. Right, I would do it without the chords first. Then, as I I went along with it, I started adding what I thought the chord was. I would try to then try to sing the arpeggio in my head. And the particular case of uh, Take the A-train, that second chord, which is a song I sang out of tune in my melody, um, is uh, um, a sharp, uh, sharp four. You, know, if you want to think about it, I think it's is it the sharp four. In any case, it's an altered chord, but um, it's just something to keep in mind when you're when you're creating some of these chord changes. And again, you know, there's there's other, and in the JB Dias article, you'll see that. I think my good friend John O'Leary actually did a masterclass on learning tunes as well. So, I wanted to just do a brief overview on things that were very helpful to me and of course know the melody if I can sing the melody I I am pretty close to knowing the melody you know that's that's the other thing that knowing the melody also allows you to do the following it helps you with transposition Right, so knowing the melody and the bass movement at the same time, then what you're doing is you're hearing like two separate melodies. You're not really, you don't really have to think of the chords in terms of theory. So what I mean by that, let's say take the A train again. Boom. Starts on the fifth, right? Boom. So let's say that I'm going to transpose it to F. better for my there's that sharp four, right so i just did really i mean i know this song well enough to to my ear was guiding me through that but what i'm thinking there is just again can't sing that low now Sing the bass movement And that's a very common chord progression. Um, That brings me exactly to that. Common chord progressions, Um, you're going to realize as if you get overwhelmed with the number of tunes, you're going to realize that a lot of tunes actually have very similar chord progressions. So as you learn them, you can go ahead and start thinking, well, you know what? This song does something odd in this section. You know, other than that, it's a one, six, two, five, or, you know, like a rhythm changes, you know, um, or, you know, one, four, three, six, two, five, you know, stuff like that. And then you find, so what you learn to do is that you start recognizing those chord progressions very quickly. But then, so that what you're doing is that you're taking out unnecessary information in terms of, or, or information that doesn't need to be complicated. In other words, if you think about it, um, the, you're just going to concentrate on the odd things on that tune, right? Uh, like I said, take the A-twin, that second chord has like the sharp four or flat five, however you want to think about it. Again, theory, I'm not going to get into that necessarily, but it's just something to listen for. Um, Another song that does similarly I I, um, mentioned it earlier, is Desafinado, uh, Jovim tune. It does the same thing as Take the Atrium. So I just transcribe it, I transpose it to F. If I do the same thing there, what I'm going to do, let's say that what I did, my ear was already in the key of F, so I'm going to move it to C. So I have my F as my starting point in this case, the first note, the melody starts on the C, which is the five of the chord. So if I'm going to transcribe it to the key of C, I'm going to start on a G. So so a cool thing with that song is that it uses the song that Savino means out of tune. Uh, and since that is kind of a, a note that's not as common, it's very common in jazz, but it's a really cool play in words. Because when he sings there he's saying uh, "Si se di cergio more like if you're telling me that I'm singing out of tune," and then when he says out of tune," he actually sings that song so uh, that, sorry that <laughs> that note, not the song um, why is that important to know well it gives you an idea of why the song does what it does, you know? So some people will tell you learn all the lyrics to all the standards and that's great too, you know, but that's, that's another layer to the, to the thing. And you, you may find yourself gigging before you can do all those things, but you should always be working on that repertoire. That's really going to make you a much more hireable musician in general, not only as a bass player, but, understanding the tunes and really playing to the tune my biggest pet peeve a lot of times with jazz musicians is that 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 the melody the tune can become an excuse to improvise basically the melody is just an introduction and then you get to the solo the, the chord changes on the solo section and that's where they have the fun you know it's like well, yeah, that's part of jazz, but it's not everything. You should, you, even if you're playing an instrumental song, you should still emote something. You should play the tune. You should quote the melody at some point. You should play around the melody. I talked a little bit about this uh, in some past master classes, but you know, there's a lot of information in some of those in in the tunes that you can play around with. You know, like the example I just used of the Safinados, just a little tiny thing there but it, it it makes a difference to know those things you can you can in, in include that in your playing in some way or another um include that knowledge you know again you can go to jazz come and read about the history of the tunes you know um and just always be listening to the music you know I always I think I, I finish every master class that I do with Go and listen to the music. But it really, I cannot stress this enough. Now, I didn't t- talk a lot about um, standards after the 50s. You know, I mentioned a couple of the Bossa Nova things, but, you know, there's, well, actually, I did mention a couple there with kind of blue. Uh, you know, if you could go to Headhunters, uh, the, the Herbie Hancock album, um, you know, where Chameleon is from, like, which is more funk fusion stuff. Of course, there's Weather Report stuff, there's Chick Korea stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great music that has been written after. And there's a lot of pockets of different, of different um, styles of jazz. And that's part of the conundrum. A lot of those different styles of jazz have different standards. There's fusion standards. there's smooth jazz standards. There's a lot of that stuff. But knowing some of the earlier standards really gives you a good um, foundation for where jazz came from. And you know whether you may not always find yourself playing all of these, learn as many as you can. you know I think if if you look at a list of standards and i'll try to I'll try to link it to this as well. Through the decades and through the different styles. That's also a great way to look at that. And there's plenty of those lists there. Like I said, I'll put, I'll put it there on the, you'll find it in the documents uh, for this class. But that's kind of that's kind of the thing. So basically, there's no easy answer for this. This is why it's a conundrum. There's, there's a lot of work that has to be done in order to do this. And there's no instant satisfaction. You know, you can have the real book, but the bad news is that you're going to sound like you're reading out of the real book, you know, and you know, you may use the real book as a guide. You know, the, the, I've learned tunes where there's things that I know this, the tune about 90%. And there's like maybe one bar that I don't remember exactly what happens. I may take a glance really quick at the chart, you know, either iReal Pro on my phone just to make sure I don't mess it up. But most of the time, I'll, I'll ask maybe the piano players, like, hey, man, what, what happens there in that second bar of the bridge? Or what, what key does the bridge modulate to? Because that happens with a lot of these tunes. Those are some of the, especially ballads, you're going to find that bridges modulate to odd keys sometimes. So those are things to listen for, the, the, the weird things that I was talking about. So take out the stuff that you already know as you play it and listen for that. Um, you know a good point to start with that stuff like this like the blues there's blues has slight variations you know Um, and the J.B. Dias document I've referenced a lot and my computer would not allow me to share uh, but I will share it with you guys that document has a good list of tunes that are um, in categories in different categories so that's a great document he quotes a lot of David Baker who was a great a jazz educator um but i'll leave it at that for today you know there's a there's just go learn go listen to the music and you know when you go to jam sessions ask people who are some of the you know what 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 are some of the more common if you're not aware of them what are some of the more common tunes that they play and have a list of your own you know have have your own list that you start adding to and you start um you know, having literally in your pocket. So have fun with it.
0: Wow. So many gems today, Alejandro. I mean, (laughs) I I keep hearing the word, listen to the music, (laughs) (laughs) that phrase, listen to the music. And you mentioned, you know, playing from the real book and different uh, listening opportunities, you know, for our Spotify, YouTube, there's all kinds of things out there. Um, What would you recommend to the musician that, is just really stuck on using that real book and can't quite get away from it. And we, we know you could always read, like you said, sometimes you sound like you're reading from that real book. It doesn't sound authentic. So what would you recommend? Maybe that young musician that's just, they just cannot get away from that real book and they want to be more free playing. You know, really it's
1: just, jump (laughs) it's that's that's kind of the it's just try to do without it you know force yourself to to play without it you know of course you may not want to do it for the first time at an important gig you know but i think the most important part of it is just just trust yourself you know trust that if you have listened or played the tune because i you know i know musicians that that use the real book and i know they know the tune it's just like a, a safety net and you know, that can you know that, that can be a little frustrating at times just because not, not that I mind somebody reading, but just sometimes like you're kind of stuck with what's on the page. So, you know, we may try to do like a you know a pedal here or or you know do some substitution on the fly or stuff like that. That is a big big part of, of kind of creating in the moment. And they may just be completely thrown off by it because it's not on the page. So um, I think the best advice I can give is just just try try not to do it. One thing that I like to do um, to really force myself to not even look at the real book to begin with is just playing along with recordings. Uh, It's funny. As a bass player, what I'll do is that I'll actually put the the recordings on my iPad because I can't hear the bass. (laughs) So... I'll just play along with them and, and figure out the chord changes. Almost like I'm, I'm on a stage playing with people that already know the tune really well. And I'm just trying to, to figure out where the chord changes are going, you know? So that's actually a really great, uh, you know, not only are you practicing time and listening, but uh, you know, that's the essence of what we do. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, just try to try to, take your eyes off of it and trust yourself. I think you, you won't know until you throw yourself out there and try to do it. And uh, I remember grad students, there was a grad student in, in when I was uh, doing my undergrad um, who, you know, we were in the middle of playing something and I was just constantly looking at the music and, and it wasn't even a standard, but it was a chart that we had been playing and he just, in the middle of the song, he just turned the music around, you know, like, the music stand out, away from me and said, like, you can do this. And I was, you know, I was like, oh, what's going on? And then I realized, oh, okay, yeah, I do know this. And it forced me to really think of what I was playing as opposed to, okay, I'm reading notes on a page or "or, or I'm connecting these chord changes, you know, these are, no, you you really it forces you to use your ear. So basically, that's the short answer: is like just do it. You know?
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I, I've seen it so many times where, yeah, somebody turned that page or turned that book over and said, "Nope, today we're going to do a different." And strangely enough, something beautiful happens out of that situation. You yeah. see the process of someone listening and really seeking to play the music another thing you mentioned of knowing the lyrics of the song um and as a bass player i know you're the foundation of any song that we're playing uh, that is super duper important because we really know what's happening in the song you know whether it's green dolphin or, or something you know we have to have some kind of reference so um what would you say to that person that just want to play the music, not too concerned about the lyrics? Um, how, how can we get more into that?
1: You know, uh, basically respect the music, uh, that, you know, you're playing the music for a reason. And, and, um, to me, you know, I remember the the, the I had this realization again in, in a real world experience. Actually, it was a school experience, but it, I was playing with a drummer who was actually much more experienced. Um, he was much older than me and very nice guy. But I remember we were playing something uh, in a jazz on someone, we had a singer sit in. And it was a song I felt fairly comfortable with. So I remember there was some point that I did some obscene obscenely long and ridiculous bass bass fill <laughs> and i remember the the drummer just started laughing and just stops it like he said like man what was that i said so like oh it's a bass fill it's like man let the lady sing <laughs> i was like you know you're absolutely right i was not listening to her at all i was in my own bass world i was just having fun with what i was playing and you know that that's basically it i mean we we can get you know jazz uh, we we kind of i hate to say it this way but it's like it's almost like a it's almost like a fetish thing like we we we, we make so this big deal about soloing and really improvising and that's where the the, the where the the whole thing is, it's it's we're still playing music that was written by somebody with an intent, you know, and uh, you know, and not that we can't do the soloing thing. That thing that's great, you know, but I think there's there's there is a balance there. So I think understanding what the song is about and where it comes from, um, and again with with my own band with La Lucha, we've taken songs, we've twisted them. You know, uh, I remember. Uh, We did an arrangement of uh, Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears (laughs) with a wonderful singer, uh, June. And it was like this really dark, you know, heavily reharmonized version of it. But, you know, she sang it that way, you know, from her perspective as a singer, she understood this is not, you know, this is kind of a ridiculous song from the perspective of, of, of Britney Spears in her view, in our view, because it's kind of, it was kind of like a silly pop song in that sense, but it it has a heavier connotation to it. And she really spoke to it, uh, you know, she really did like this darker version of it that, that was very cool. And as a singer, that's what she did. She said, I got into kind of this character. You can do the same thing as an instrumentalist. You know, you, you get into a specific mood, into a specific thing, you try to channel something that's specific to the song. You know, if you're playing, you know, i always find it kind of funny that we play we tend to play there will never be another you as a really up-tempo instrumental tune you know that's how i learned it initially and then i heard somebody singing it i think it it may have been etta jones uh singing it as a ballad i'm like oh this is what this song is about (laughs) you know so that really opened my my mind too because i realized oh man there's Again, nothing that nothing wrong with what we're doing, but but it, it gave me another perception of the song and how you can take that song and make it mean something completely different if you play it in a different way, which can be something you can do purposely. But I think understanding what the song is about is definitely an important thing, you know, because it, it'll it'll shape your playing.
0: Well said, well said. Another awesome (laughs) session today. We really enjoyed it. There's so many nuggets in this. You know, don't forget, everybody, You can always go back into the past archives and just um, rewind, take notes, apply it. That's the only way we're going to grow. That's the only way we're going to learn. And this is definitely a journey, you know, playing jazz. And even being a jazz listener, there's always something new that we can be exposed to. So we want to thank you, Alejandro, for your time today and your research and just sharing all this great information with us. And you, as the listener, can do us a favor as well go out and tell other people tell them what you're hearing here tell them what how it's helping you're playing um, you can always email us at info at clearwaterjazz.com check out the past sessions and the upcoming sessions at www.clearwaterjazz.com slash education we want to thank you for joining us today i'm your guest host michael Canodal, and we're going to see you on the next one keep swinging everybody bye-bye
1: Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.